Hi everyone, welcome back to the MetaBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of pyloric stenosis found under the pediatric section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A six-week-old first-born baby boy presents with projectile vomiting after feedings over the last 24 hours. Mom says that he enjoys feeding, and even after he vomits, he appears eager and hungry. On physical exam, you palpate an olive-shaped mass in the epigastric region. Labs demonstrate a blood pH of 7.47 and potassium of 3.2 millimoles per liter. Let's continue with an introduction to pyloric stenosis. Pyloric stenosis is due to a congenital hypertrophy of the pyloric sphincter. This prevents the stomach from emptying contents into the intestinal tract, so it is considered a gastric outlet obstruction. Risk factors include maternal history of pyloric stenosis, as well as erythromycin use. And remember that it is associated with transesophageal fistulas. With regards to epidemiology, it is present in 1 out of 500 births, it affects males more often than females, it is more common in firstborns, it is uncommon in children greater than 6 months old, and is most common within the first 12 weeks of life. Moving on to the presentation, Remember that symptoms include infants that feed well for the first two to three weeks of life, and then it presents with non-bilious vomiting after most or every feeding. This can progress to projectile vomiting at two weeks to two months of life. This can then lead to severe malnutrition and dehydration, and patients may experience other symptoms, which include belching, abdominal pain, constant hunger, and weight loss or failure to thrive. On physical exam, one may note a palpable epigastric olive-shaped mass which is pathognomonic for the disorder. One may also note visible peristaltic waves over the gastrum, and the patient may have a swollen abdomen, which is indicative of a starvation state. With regards to further evaluation, electrolytes may demonstrate a metabolic alkalosis, as well as a hypokalemia and hypochloremia, which is secondary to recurrent emesis. One can perform barium studies, which may show narrow pyloric channel, and may demonstrate the quote-unquote string sign or pyloric beak. And on ultrasound, one may note the hypertrophic pylorus. With regards to the differential, make sure to think about a hiatal hernia, duodenal atresia, volvulus, meconium ileus, GERD, gastroenteritis, and tracheoesophageal fistula. And in terms of treatment, medical management includes hydration via IV fluids, which is indicated in all cases. One should also normalize the acid base or electrolyte abnormalities, and remember that potassium replacement is key and is indicated in all cases. Surgical treatment options include a pyloromyotomy, which is indicated for surgical correction of the defect. And with regards to prognosis, remember that it is very good to excellent and that surgery relieves symptoms and the child is usually eating within hours of surgery. In terms of prevention, remember that there are no preventive measures available at this time, and complications related to pyloric stenosis include failure to thrive. Now let's discuss a high-yield scenario for pyloric stenosis. Imagine that there is a newborn boy who presents with projectile vomiting and is always hungry to eat more after vomiting. The vomit is non-bilious, and an olive-shaped mass is palpable in the patient's abdomen. The patient has also been treated with erythromycin for an infection. In this scenario, The next best step in management would be IV fluids and to correct electrolytes. Alternatively, you could order a complete metabolic panel. The best initial test would be an ultrasound, which may demonstrate a target-shaped lesion. The most accurate test would be an ultrasound, 
and the treatment of choice would be a pyloromyotomy. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to pyloric stenosis, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A seven-week-old male presents to the pediatrician for vomiting. His parents report that three weeks ago, the patient began vomiting after meals. They say that the vomitus appears to be normal stomach contents without streaks of red or green. His parents have already tried repositioning him during mealtimes and switching his formula to eliminate cow's milk and soy. Despite these adjustments, the vomiting has become more frequent and forceful. The patient's mother reports that he is voiding about four times per day and that his urine looks dark yellow. The patient has fallen one standard deviation off his growth curve. The patient's mother reports that the pregnancy was uncomplicated other than an episode of sinusitis in the third trimester, for which she was treated with azithromycin. In the office, the patient's temperature is 98.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 37.1 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 58 over 41, pulse is 166 beats per minute, and respirations are 16 breaths per minute. On physical exam, the patient looks small for his age. His abdomen is soft, non-tender, and non-distended. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Abdominal ultrasound Choice 2. Intravenous hydration Choice 3. MRI of the head Choice 4. Pyloromyotomy Or Choice 5. Thickening feeds The best answer to this question is Choice 2. Intravenous hydration This patient presents with non-bilious, forceful vomiting, poor weight gain, signs of dehydration, and a history of exposure to azithromycin, which suggests a diagnosis of pyloric stenosis. The best next step in management is intravenous hydration. Pyloric stenosis classically presents in an infant between four to six weeks of age with non-bilious projectile vomiting after meals. Protracted vomiting frequently leads to a severe hypochloremic, hypokalemic metabolic alkalosis. Patients should be aggressively resuscitated with intravenous hydration and evaluated for electrolyte abnormalities that require repletion. Risk factors for pyloric stenosis include bottle feeding and exposure to macrolide antibiotics in the patient or mother. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Abdominal ultrasound is the test of choice to diagnose pyloric stenosis but evaluation for electrolyte derangements and subsequent intravenous hydration and electrolyte repletion should be initiated first in this patient with signs of severe dehydration and malnutrition. Choice 2. MRI of the head would be appropriate if this patient had additional signs of a mass in the head, such as neurological changes or worsening of the vomiting in the morning. In the absence of these signs and the presence of a mass in the epigastrium, this patient is more likely to have pyloric stenosis. Choice 3. Pyloromyotomy is the definitive management of pyloric stenosis, but this patient should undergo fluid replacement and have any electrolyte derangements detected and managed before undergoing surgery. Choice 5. Thickening feeds is one of the techniques used to manage gastroesophageal reflux. In the setting of this patient's epigastric mass and severe clinical picture, Pyloric stenosis is the more likely etiology of his vomiting. Finally, a bullet summary. The first step in management of pyloric stenosis is intravenous rehydration and electrolyte repletion, 
as protracted vomiting may lead to a severe hypochloremic, hypokalemic, metabolic alkalosis. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A four-week-old male presents with his parents to the pediatrician for a well-child visit. The patient's mother reports that the patient was eating well until about one week ago when he began vomiting after breastfeeding. His mother has tried increasing the frequency of feeds and decreasing the amount of each food, but the vomiting seems to be getting worse. The patient now vomits after every feed. His mother states that the vomitus looks like breast milk. The patient's mother is exclusively breastfeeding and would prefer not to switch to formula, but worries that the patient is not getting the nutrition he needs. Two weeks ago, the patient was in the 75th percentile for weight and 70th for height. He is now in the 60th percentile for weight and 68th percentile for height. On physical exam, the patient has dry mucous membranes. His abdomen is soft and non-distended. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the answer choices are choice one, abdominal ultrasound. Choice two, abdominal radiograph. Choice three, supplement breastfeeding with formula. Choice four, trial of cow's milk free diet. Or choice five, trial of empiric proton pump inhibitor. The best answer to this question is choice one, abdominal ultrasound. This patient presents with a history of non-bilious, forceful vomiting, poor weight gain, and signs of dehydration, which is consistent with pyloric stenosis. The best next step in management is abdominal ultrasound to confirm the diagnosis. Pyloric stenosis presents in four to six-week-old infants with non-bilious, postprandial projectile vomiting. Although pyloric stenosis classically presents with a quote-unquote olive-shaped mass in the epigastrium, the mass cannot be palpated on some patients. For that reason, any infant who develops new, persistent vomiting in the first two months of life and has associated dehydration or failure to thrive should undergo abdominal ultrasound to evaluate for pyloric stenosis. Definitive treatment is pyloromyotomy. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice two, abdominal radiograph is not helpful in evaluating for pyloric stenosis. It is more useful in the workup of bilious vomiting as several etiologies of bilious vomiting, such as duodenal atresia and Hirschsprung disease can be seen on abdominal radiograph. Choice three, supplementing breastfeeding with formula would not be appropriate in this patient as his failure to thrive is driven by gastric outlet obstruction. The underlying etiology of his vomiting should be worked up and corrected. In the case of pyloric stenosis, formula would cause vomiting just as breast milk does. Choice four, a trial of cow's milk-free diet is one of the techniques used to improve gastroesophageal reflux, but in the setting of this patient's age and the description of vomiting, he should undergo abdominal ultrasound to evaluate for pyloric stenosis. Choice five, a trial of empiric proton pump inhibitor is indicated for patients with gastroesophageal reflux disease and failure to thrive, but it would not address this patient's pyloric stenosis. Finally, a bullet summary. The diagnostic test of choice for pyloric stenosis in infants is abdominal ultrasound. That's all for this review about pyloric stenosis. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic.
If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.